Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Beauty Podcast with me, Emma G, where each week I chat to the many wonderful people that I'm lucky enough to meet in my work as a beauty journalist, consultant, and presenter. I've had celebrities, brand creators, innovators, editors, and scientists in my studio. And in this show, I sit down with celebrity makeup artist Lee Pycroft. Now, Lee is a very well-known name in the world of beauty, not least because for many years she has been the artist behind the red carpet looks of major, major Hollywood stars and supermodels. I first met Lee in that very context, in fact, when I arrived to interview one of her clients. Lee had done the makeup as part of the Glam Squad, and I was there to talk about all things beauty for a glossy magazine. She is also a brand ambassador, an industry informer, and is also a very shrewd businesswoman. She has a lot of strings to her bow, and she makes juggling all of them look very easy. Lee is that presence in a room, particularly when there's a lot of celebrity activity, that remains calm. I've never seen her look flustered or stressed, and during the course of our chat, it becomes clear why she has this very still, safe aura. I hadn't seen Lee for about five years when we sat down, and uh, as we caught up over Buddha Tears Tea, it was really fascinating to see what she's been up to in that time, and it really informed the direction that this show takes. In and amongst all her work, which has taken her around the world numerous times, she took over the management of a charity that offers makeovers to women who are, among other things, recovering from domestic abuse or going through illness. How she came to this is a story she tells me in this episode, and it's really interesting and definitely gives pause for thought. I began the beauty podcast because of the privileged time I get to spend face-to-face with people in the beauty industry. These are always conversations that I walk away from feeling completely inspired and energised, and that's why I wanted to share them with you. Just before we begin my episode with Lee, don't forget that if you want to get in touch with the show, you can find me on Twitter, where I'm at Emma G underscore beauty, on Facebook, the beauty podcast with Emma G, and via my website, emmagunawardner.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter. And I'm also going to include all of Lee's details in the show notes on the website. And don't worry, I wouldn't for one second expect you to be able to spell emmagunawardner.com without writing it down for you. So you can also find all of that and the links in the show notes too. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the beauty podcast with Emma G featuring Lee Pycroft. to have the wondrous Lee Pycroft with me today. I'm blushing. <laughs> now, I've known you for a while. We have. For years. We've I got know. to that point with some of these interviews where we don't like to say how much, just because it... Let's be open. <laughs> Let's start as we mean to go on. Probably is about 15 years. It's got to be at least 15 years. Something like that. But I was saying to you when I saw you, like five years goes by in a heartbeat now, doesn't it? In a it? heartbeat. You know, it really does. It's like, where did that five years just go? It was fun. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Stuff happened. Yeah, exactly. You just don't realise. It's like the idea of meeting your friends. You know how you used to have like monthly brunches or monthly... 
Let's yeah. get together once a month and have dinner. When does that ever happen? It's like once a year. <laughs> and we'll do this next year. Yeah? You can just follow me on social media and you can find everything you need to know about me. <laughs> well, you can socialise on social media. I know. That'll be the next thing, won't oh it? Oh, my God. Right, just send each other pictures of your... No, virtual ex. reality will take over and you'll meet in virtual reality. No, I think it will. My friend lives in Next San five years, yeah. And has just been doing a lot of VR stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's going to change everything, the way we see the world, for sure. I've been doing loads of research on it. It's fascinating. We're just going to lose our eyesight, putting those goggles on. No, I don't think. No, <laughs> hopefully not. But it could cheat. It could change the way we learn things, couldn't it? I wonder oh, if it yeah. sort of if it programs our brain the faster it'd be something like at the, at the Matrix. How amazing would that be? Just plug in. I know Kung Fu. <laughs> We're not really fantasising here, are we? <laughs> it's gone on a, a major turn. But yes. so we met, and I have usually met you in a hotel room, five star hotel room. Not yes, so, this sounds rather ominous. Not, not some dingy bedsit. <laughs> no. Um, just slightly to the left of a major Hollywood star or supermodel, because you are responsible for the beautiful looks. I have been responsible for the makeup of some of the world's biggest stars for years and years and years. I have, yeah, yeah. And the ambassador of several makeup brands. I as have, well. yes, indeed. I've been very, very blessed to have the career I've had. And it started off, oh God, 25 years ago, and very much from a place that. I was working in Whistle's clothes shop and I thought one day, God, I'm a bit bored. I wonder what I could do. <laughs> and I used to sort of love flicking through magazines. I thought, I oh, know I'll do makeup. And I was completely ignorant about it. And I thought, oh, I'll go and do a makeup course. And I went and did a makeup course and uh, I was always first in the class. And I um, got a really good sort of, you know, accreditation from the um, courses because I was so keen. Not that I was the best, I was just very keen. Mm. And um, slowly, over years and years and years, climbed the ranks. But it was almost because I didn't know anything about it and I didn't mm. know how to, um, how, uh, what it would actually take to get to where I got to. Yeah. I went to, it was sort of ignorance was bliss, really. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I, I sort of worked my way through editorial and um, many, So wait, many, what was the yeah. first experience like when you first had a famous face in your hands? Well, it was sort of gradual. I remember... Um, I was assisting some good people, and I think I got to work with Cindy Crawford, who was one of the first oh famous God. people. And she was on a Pepsi campaign. And it's funny, because once I kind of would get into the groove, I would forget it was Cindy Crawford, and I would just sort of this, you know, what I, mm. you know, my natural sort of yeah. flair for what I was doing would take over. Um, and she was wonderful, and she was very helpful and very caring and, and sort of very nurturing. She obviously knew I was relatively you know, new, Um to her at least <laughs> um and uh yeah so it was it was great and then it kind of just built up and I mean I think you know as I progressed and sort of worked with more and more sort of people and got into that whole sort of red carpet mm. side of the industry um obviously before all these jobs it's though that sort of slight anxiety of oh my god can I pull this off um because there's this expectation I'm going to deliver yeah uh, at a high level and it's not like when I've you know, 20 years ago, you'd do a celebrity and they'd be on the second page of the newspaper and no one would think anything of it. it it's viral within, you know, an hour. Mm. And the celebrity's being scrutinised from head to toe, every single thing. You get these armchair critics oh, yeah. sort of talking about, well, you know, why has she got that colour lipstick on? Or well, why, you know, her foundation looks a bit of a different colour because... white powder. Oh, my God. There's a flash bulb that's gone mm. off. and it, You know, so you're open to a bit, a lot of criticism. Um, 
but that's the nature of the game. That's the way it's gone. It's so, changed so much, though, right? Yeah, it's changed enormously. For, for you know, there's a lot of good in it, but like everything, there's a balance, isn't it? There's a, there's a good and, a, and there's not so good to most things in life. Yeah. You know? So, uh, yeah. So you are one of the names. You are one of the big names in beauty. Everybody knows who you are. <laughs> um, your skill speaks for itself. But what I find quite interesting is that a lot of people tr- gravitate towards this world, thinking that it's... Yeah. Um, going to be heavenly yeah yeah (laughs) that if you're on a red carpet or you're at a um lovely event behind the velvet rope that somehow life is better yeah and i think um what's really interesting about you is Mm. it's not that that's not the case but you've always been open to um we were talking about earlier this idea of fulfillment and what really makes people happy yeah yeah and one thing i'll say is that i think in these five star hotel rooms, um, when we've seen each other, it might only have been for a few minutes, but mm. you are the sort of person where you leave with a little something. You're mm-hmm. very open mm. and you sort of bring out the best in others, which I think must obviously mm. pay mm. dividends in your work. <laughs> well, it's very kind of you to say thank you. Um, I think uh, it's interesting actually. When I first got into doing makeup, if I'm serially honest, there was a bit about it where, when I look at it now, I didn't realise this at the time, but as I've sort of travelled through time and, mm. and I've always been into self-development and mind exploring, if you like, um, I think there was a sort of sense of feeling significant when I did that type of work mm. and having achieved a certain level. Mm. Um, with everything in life, I think there is a sacrifice that comes with that. And I think that that's not often thought about, mm. you know, uh, in order to get to reach that level of success, I didn't show up for friends' birthday parties. I sort of sometimes miss some of what my kids were doing. Um, but my appetite for that success was very, very strong. Mm. And weirdly to have that sort of sense of feeling significant. And I mean by that feeling valued, feeling mm. valuable, um, I would sort of see myself as being more acceptable in the world, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting sort of place to reach now, sort of looking back and being a bit more sort of relaxed about Mm -hmm. it, you know. But also I think I had a fascination at the time working with those types of people, what made them so successful, what was it about them Mm -hmm. that uh, they were able to reach that point in their career, um, embrace those parts in the way they did. Um, and having major Hollywood actors. Yeah, major Hollywood actors, yeah. Um, And what's so fascinating, I think, watching them sort of perform um, and get ready for press interviews and come up with these amazing sound bites Mm. and and do it with ease is that they, I think, have a capacity to hold difficult and challenging emotions in a way that other people don't. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they they can handle intense emotions. Whereas I think, you know, now I've learned to handle intense emotions through sort of my path, if you like. But I think as a, you know, when I look at... um, you know, my kids' friends, for example, you know, nowadays I think uh, there's a a slight sort of feeling of expectation rather than appreciation Mm. in life, which I don't think is uh, necessarily going to lead to fulfilment. Um, So I think it's, you know, an interesting time we were saying earlier, interesting time where you've got this sort of uh, avenue where Instagram and social media and Twitter and everything has taken over the world and you know, taking the world by storm. We have access to celebrities mm. like we never have before. But there's a sort of filter to all of that, of perfection, there's just highlights. Yeah. And then the flip side of that, you've got this whole avenue of 
people trying to you know trying to find what it is what are their, what is their true identity and who are they truly mm. without all the um, smoke screen if you like which I think is a really interesting conversation I think it's a, well it just seems to be a conversation that a lot of people my age are having right now as well just kind of what do I really stand for what do I yeah. want out of life and I don't know whether it, there comes a point in everybody's life where you just sort of take a step back I don't know I, and I know that for, for certain I um I got my dream job and I thought exactly as you just said that that was enough and that yeah. I should just be appreciated for that yeah. I, was, I was a beauty editor therefore yeah I was golden nothing yeah, yeah. could touch me and I sort of stopped yeah 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 yeah. And then you realise that actually it's just the starting point of your next... Of course, yeah, yeah. ...achievement. Because like, if you do yeah. just achieve everything you want... Yeah. ...if you peak too soon, what's next? Mm. But it's that difference, isn't it, between what is fulfilment and what is what is it that tr- makes people truly happy. And I think after many, many years in the industry and working at the level I did... Um, I don't think, and it's just, I mean, people might know this intellectually, it's I'll be happy when I get all these things. Mm. You know, and you get them and you just want the next thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, we know that intellectually. Um, but, I mean, all the research I've done, because of my fascination with self-development mm. and what is it that makes people happy and what is it that I can, will make me happy, happier, um, is actually contributing outside of yourself mm. is removes definitely, for me, any sort of sense of, sort of self-centeredness, if you like, um, and... Having worked in the industry, I have for sort of twenty five years. Run my own company for ten mm. years, where I represent art, represented artists um, while still working as a makeup artist. So I had sort of, and being a single mum, because mm. um, I'm a single mum for most of my uh, career as a makeup artist, which was <laughs> a challenge Good in Lord, itself. You travelled so much. I did. I mean, sometimes I would go away and I would have two nannies on the go. I mean, it was it was quite intense um, and uh, a couple of, you know, difficult relationships thrown into the mix <laughs> as well, you know. But, I mean, all these things, I think, are the amazing thing about life is, mm. is you know, that everyone is going gonna, is gonna to be challenged. Life is going to throw people challenges. Mm. Um, and that is the nature of it. And I think that I used to have this sort of fantasy that if I got a certain sort of set of things in place, mm. then it would all run smoothly. Yeah. And what I realise now is actually that's not the way it's supposed to be. You know, we are going to be challenged because that's how we grow. That's mm. how we actually evolve if we choose to. You know, I think I've seen some people, because of the work I've now gone into, mm. um, which I know we've spoken about, where uh, I've set up an initiative where I bring in teams of makeup artists and... Um, massage therapists and manicurists and pedicurists into different communities of mm. people who are really struggling with different um, challenges and that could be um, hospices or women who are suffering from uh, recovering from domestic abuse um, or the carers for uh, injured war veterans mm. um, so we have lots of different communities we go into uh, and um, it's amazing how you see in that environment how beauty can be incredibly healing Mm. and I think um and also the common and when there's commonality within a group dynamic where this incredible healing takes place so I think that that's often in in society now we've lost that sort of connection with each other to a degree you know I mean it's you know we're primal creatures aren't we Mm. and to live alone actually nowadays is is you know is that on a on a primal level we all do it you know we, I mean I live with my kids now but um, you know it's it's on some level it can be quite challenging I think mm. you know 
we're connected, but we're not connecting. Yeah, (laughs) you know, it's so true. So, do you think you said you've always had this um, interest in Mm. um, being more mindful and asking yourself the questions? When did that first? When did you first start exploring that with courses or? Crikey, I mean, I remember when I was twenty-three. I did my very first um, course, and it was by Dale Carnegie, and it was called "How to Win Friends and Influence People." <laughs> and, and I read his book, and uh, it was before I'd gone into makeup, and um, and I did his course, and uh, I found it fascinating. And that was kind of the, one of the first uh, stepping stones, really, into um, what makes us do the things we do. But I mean, that was one of many steps mm. I went on to take because I think as I've gone through different life phases. Mm. Um, other things come up. It's like peeling an onion, isn't it? Yeah. You don't quite get there. It's a constant sort of evolving and learning, you know. Do you think that's part of the first step, is accepting that you are an onion with lots of layers or you are always going... You you are always in a position of learning. You can never think that you know it all. Yeah, and I think that's the, the, there's a humility about thinking. Mm. But definitely for me, I don't know it all and I don't have the answers. You know, I don't need to have the answers. Um, and I, but do you find that because you're quite open about all of that mm. that actually people sometimes look to you for the answers because I find that with people who are open about their journey yeah, and that other people kind of who might be too frightened to mm. take those steps themselves kind of almost yes gravitate around. yeah yeah for sure for sure and I think uh, I mean I love it because I mean I love these sorts of conversations yeah. and I think the more open we are with each other um, and I don't say that in an unboundaried way because obviously being vulnerable with people who are not uh, in the space to hear mm-hmm. what you have to say can, isn't always in your best interest. Mm-hmm. But in appropriately vulnerable with people yeah. um, and open about uh, your story, I think can um, it can give people permission to do the same and, and can be hugely mm-hmm. healing, you know. Do you find think. that that was something that used to happen when you were doing makeup? Because it is such an intimate thing. Yeah, it's really interesting actually because you do you meet someone, you're literally in their space and you're mm-hmm. touching their face. Um, so yeah, and it's interesting because I remember working with an actress, and uh, she was she'd fired two makeup pass before I got there, <laughs> and uh, as you can imagine, I wasn't I was sort of going in there into the hotel thinking, oh my god, <laughs> am I going to be the third? And you I put tu- Vaseline on your teeth before you walked through the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I touched her face, and she could obviously feel something by the way I touched her that made her comfortable. Mm. And after about 15 minutes, she said to me, oh, you can do whatever you want, Lee. She said, I, I trust you. It was really interesting. I thought, interesting? And I thought, how funny. She's picking something up from the way I'm touching her and the way I'm looking at her and talking to her. You're the unspoken language. Mm. That um, she is, is helping her feel comfortable. Did you ever get giddy around any of the celebrities? Did I ever get giddy? Um, do you know, weirdly, no. Yeah, and it's a part of it. it. It's a bit of an enigma for me that when I've been with them and I see people screaming on the red carpet and I think, I don't, you know, why, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, you know, but I guess it's the fantasy part, isn't it, mm. of life? You know, you see people on the TV and... Um, I do remember one really funny thing, though, actually, that I uh, used to watch Brookside. Now, for some of these listeners, I might even know what that was. And I remember there was, I think it was Anna Friel that was on it. Oh, yeah. And uh, and I remember seeing her at a party 
and thinking I knew her. <laughs> the episode so many times. And I went up to her and I kept insisting that I knew her. I mean, it was one of those kind of embarrassing moments. And she sort of looked at me and she said, <laughs> and I definitely don't know. And then suddenly the penny dropped, you know. Oh my God, no, actually, I know her from the TV. I had that, I went to the BAFTAs a few years ago <laughs> as a segue. Mm. And in the taxi on the way to the BAFTAs, we, the taxi, it wasn't a taxi, it was a Mercedes, but it got hit by a bus <laughs> and it got slightly lifted. And I was in the back with two other beauty editors. And so they opened the door and we sort of slid out because we were all in these like fancy dresses. Gowns, yeah. And we had to climb over the um, barricades into the, you know, the railings they put up because we weren't going in the driver's entry we had literally had to go through the crowds with our tickets and climb over <laughs> and I was so flustered and when I got when I climbed over the barrier Sir Ian McKellen was standing there and I went oh Ian I've had a right <laughs> and I just thought that's not my friend <laughs> oh and my god that's hilarious spent the rest of the evening just thinking I just really want to go and apologise or just leave actually and go home to bed that was so funny because obviously I shouldn't be allowed to out. that was so funny I did it with Lawrence Fishbone and left. No, I, don't, I didn't. I didn't do it last week. <laughs> I could edit that so badly, Lee. <laughs> Exclusive. I, I walked into a lift and I'd met him on a press junket. And I walked in and I looked at him. And I said, Oh gosh, you know, hello. <laughs> I mean, it was just madness. Oh, we've met. And he looked at me completely blankly and he said, Yeah, yeah, how are you? And I thought, oh, no. and, and then I said, What film was it? What film was it? And came out with this film. I think I said, Oh, whatever it was. And he looked at me and said, yeah, yeah, that was it. And there's this lift door shut. I realised, no, no, that wasn't the film at all. And I was just looking at it thinking, we just get rid of this loom. I mean, it was another sort of uh-oh moment. I would have just gone red pill, blue pill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just backed away. I think I insisted he was in Mission Impossible 3, but in fact it was The Matrix. This is why I should I? never have been allowed to interview celebrities, because I just red pill, blue pill. <laughs> What an idiot, honestly. <laughs> oh, you've got to laugh, haven't you? You do. But I, one thing I would say is that having seen you work with celebrities, because mm. I'd often get the chance to interview them, mm. and you would have done their makeup, so you'd be in the room or around, mm. is there was almost like, um, I would say, and we talked about one example, I won't name, but um, they relied on you. There was an emotion, mm. there was definitely an emotional connection there. They, they kind of needed to know where you were. They felt more comfortable when you were in the room. Mm. And did you... That's not something you try to do, obviously. It's just happened. Yeah, I think the thing is, it's, it's, it's when I find working with people that are very um, high in their game, you know, they're, they're working, operating at a very high level, mm. they're high achievers. Um, it's a few things for me. It's being a step ahead of them. It's sort of thinking, what do they need? What? How can I make this experience the best possible experience for them? How mm. can I be of service to them? Um, rather than sort of being too much in what I'm going to get out of it, it's more how can I be of service in this situation and uh, how can I make it comfortable for them? You know, sometimes I might be working with a woman and she's exhausted mm. and she's got to go from, you know, press junket to premiere and she's absolutely flaking out and I'll mm. say, listen, you know, I'll make you up a bed, you can shut your eyes for 20 minutes while I work around your face and then we'll do the last mm. bit, when you know, when you're sitting upright. Um, and it's being able to, I think, adapt to different situations. And, and I think also knowing when to, um, you can be friendly, but you're not necessarily their friend. Mm. There's a big distinction. There's a big distinction. Mm. And I mean, I have had friends who, I've been had high profile clients who I've been very friendly with, but then I'm very conscious that when we are working, that's it, that line mm. is drawn. 
and there's no familiarity that is out of place. Mm. Um, I think that's really interesting what you said about making them comfortable because I think I always use the Julia Roberts analogy. You may have heard this in the podcast previously, but um, if Julia Roberts walked into the room now, yeah. well, maybe not you because you're too good at it, but if Julia Roberts walked into a big room full of people, everybody would hinge on her mood. Yes, yes. And if she was in a great mood and radiated that beautiful smile, we would all think, oh my God, Julia Roberts is amazing. She's the most gorgeous person yeah. I've ever seen. She is delightful. She's everything I wanted her to be. But if she's in a bad mood, we would all absorb that and we would like, oh my God, that Julia Roberts, she's a difficult one. And I think that's a lot of pressure on an individual to be the source of the energy in the room. And it yeah. sounds like what yeah. you did was said, you just do what you have to do. I'm just going to be in charge here. But not in a... Yeah, territory I mean, kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Just took control. Yeah, I think it's sort of trying to take you know take some of the some of the heat off them really, mm. and just make it. Um, it can be little things, you know, because they're very you know often they're quite visual people, mm. um, being in the creative industry, and it's everything from the way everything's laid out. You know, I'd have little pink bags and brushes would smell nice. It's mm. it's it's those little things. Um, you know, do they want tea? Do they want coffee? You know the way I touch them, you know, are they particularly feeling particularly sensitive that day? Mm. Um, you know, it's it's very small things that can actually make a huge difference to them. Yeah. You know? And also, I mean, I've learned an extraordinary amount from watching them um, in the way they conduct themselves and how they, how professional they are in the sense that whoever is in the room with the ones that are really, you know, mm. at the top of the, the, their game... Whoever's in the room, whether it's, you know, someone who's come to clean the rooms or someone who's very high profile has walked in the room, they treat everybody mm. with respect and, and grace, um, which I think is hugely important too. Mm. Uh, because often with celebrities, you'll find sometimes they can come with an entourage of people that gain certain amount of significance from hanging out with that person. Yeah. But do they really have that person's, you know, true interests at heart? Mm. Um, and uh, I was working the, uh, with a gorgeous lady recently who's... Uh, um, been in the you know Hollywood a long time, and she was very much saying the same thing. Uh, you know that often it's that sort of it's by association. Mm. Sometimes people can get that feeling of being more important than perhaps they are. And I think also the other thing that's really important, I think, for anyone getting into this industry, is um, to treat every job as if it's your first in the sense that you know, never get complacent about it mm. never show up thinking that you're you know uh, that, you, that you're never in a position where people mm. will let you go because there's so many people in the industry now if you're not uh, up to date you're not uh, you know you're, the mood you project will have a massive impact mm. you know whether you're a decent person to travel with all these different elements um, you know people can let you go and move on to someone else you know, you're dispensable like yeah um, so I think it's being grateful and remaining in gratitude for those opportunities when they come along. That's you know? so interesting. Abby Cleave, the MD of Ultrasound, did this podcast and mm. she said, there's a saying, live every day as if it's your last. And she yeah. said, in business, it's live every day as if it's your first. And you said exactly mm. the same thing. Yeah. Go in with that same enthusiasm. I think that that it's sort of that lesson, I think, is, is really interesting in lots of areas of life, though. Um, that's one thing in business, but I think in you know relationships and personal relationships, I think it's a very significant thing. Um, you know, in being open to new experiences, mm. in in being excited by the world, when I think it's very easy to you know to get sort of lulled into that sort of drudgery of of, of forgetting how amazing 
you know, world is, how nature is, how, mm. you know, we go into the sort of mindful side of things, um, of how blessed we actually are. Yeah. You know, because I think, you know, this sort of going back to the expectation part, you know, I don't have enough, me, 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 I, I, I. And we are a bit in that culture, I, mm. I, I, me, me, me. Um, enough about me, what do you think of me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So having that openness to new experiences... Um, I think you know it keeps us open to growth and and to uh, to being fulfilled yeah. and, and open minded and and um, yeah growing. So Hollywood stars traveling the world with mm. doing all of this, but now you're doing something very different. When, when what was the point? I mean, you're doing both at the same time. Yeah, hasten to add. But when, when was the point that you made the decision that you were going to go in and do these workshops? It was interesting, actually, because I think I went through a really rocky personal patch where I had uh, broken up with my kid's dad. We had a very difficult breakup. And I, um, wanting to avoid any feelings, bounced straight into another relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, of course, it's so easy nowadays. You just go on the internet. It's like catalogue, isn't it? <laughs> just oh, like, yeah, you'll do. Um, you know, it's a common thing that human beings do, you know. Mm. And uh, I did that, and that was uh, really kind of um, a very interesting but roller coaster relationship. And in amongst that, I had I was traveling. I had two kids I was trying to deal with. I was a sole provider, um, and I had an awful lot that I was trying to juggle. And then my mum passed away, and so I think I had a succession of events happen mm. that I didn't quite kind of catch my breath from. Mm. And I got to a point where things kind of imploded and I went into a bit of an de- emotional decline. Although people wouldn't have known it looking at me. Mm. I think that's the interesting thing. I was showing up for work. I was putting on a brave face. But I got caught up in an emotional pattern that uh, was very limiting and was, you know, depressive. Um, Did you get into um, the the cycle of absorbing other people's problems at that time? Well, I my my... Now I know, definitely within my intimate relationships, I would take on other people's, my boyfriend's problems mm. as my own and think if I would do enough, be enough, say enough, I could make it right. Mm. And I didn't really, you know, understand. I knew it intellectually, but I think there's a big difference about knowing something intellectually and understanding it emotionally mm-hmm. and getting the true impact of it. Um and I think, you know, I didn't understand that my lack of boundaries around that and my lack of sense of self within intimate relationships mm. um, was causing me a lot of pain, a lot of mm. emotional turmoil. Um, Is that boundary setting? Yes, it's boundary setting. And I think, you know, as humans, whether people admit it or not, at a very core level, you know, we all want to be loved. Mm. Yet there's this fear of am I enough? Mm. You know, there's this sort of conflict in place. And I think in most intimate relationships you've got influence at best you can't control it Mm. you can you know control other you can try you think you can control other elements of your life but you have more you have slight more control over how your work's going to go that kind of thing you can do more but in relationships you know people just change their mind it's Mm. it's it's, and I think it can bring up some of our deepest insecurities that we're perhaps not even aware of Mm. so I think it's an interesting playing field but I think also intimate relationships we grow the most through them because they're almost a mirror image of what we need to learn Mm. that's my experience of it um so I think I had these several different things happen and really reached a point where I had to sort of review 
where I was mm. because I was sad mm. and I was, you know, struggling with trying to maintain a life which I was caught up in, my identity was caught up in, yeah. and my sense of significance was caught up in it, and my value was caught up in it, and I was sort of like, well, who am I if I don't do all this stuff? Am I mm. enough with all this stuff? And it's what I call add-ons. Mm. You know, I add on all these things to make me feel okay and to think that I'm enough. Um, and actually, the real truth of it, underneath all of that, I now know, <laughs> um, was I thought if I had all that stuff, I'd be lovable enough. Mm. You know, and uh, what I had to learn was that um, in order to get through that period of my life, I um, did some a lot of a lot more exploring. I've always been an explorer, as I say, but I did a lot more exploring. And I did some group work and I did around sort of, you know, relationships and what's healthy mm. and what's not healthy and and historical stuff that I didn't even know I was holding on to. Because isn't it bizarre that some of the most significant stuff in our lives, like relationships, yeah. you're supposed to manage on instinct? Yes, yes. And I think, you know, for me, uh, if I was in a very sort of, you know... Um, a uh, relationship that was a sort of roller coaster because I kind of grew up in that environment. Mm. That was what was familiar to me. Yeah. You know, I didn't know, I mean, something that was more sort of considered was something that I just couldn't, it seemed quite dull. Mm. And um, really, it took me some time out alone to sit with the intensity of the feelings I was having of, of sort of um, grieving over my mum, mm. of sort of a loss of a couple of significant relationships, of of managing uh, the kids, of trying to be all these different things. Um, but one of the major things that came out of that for me was I have this skill set and this network that I could bring into different communities that would bring about types of healing mm. to other people. And in, in doing that, it would get me out of this sort of feeling of thinking about myself the whole time. Mm. Um, and I remember watching through sort of one of the, I mean, I love watching TED Talks. I'm obsessed with oh, TED Talks. Yeah. And I was watching one, and I'm not religious, by, by, uh, but I'd done the Alpha course twice out of a fascination as to what, what, what is it, what, what is faith. Mm. Um, and for me, it's, uh, I don't have to have the answers, but I have definite belief that there is something greater than me, believe it or not, and I, I'm not in charge. <laughs> I know that is amazing. Um, you know, I only have to look at the sort of, you know, the NASA website or National Geographic and think, oh, my God, I mean, it's all works in perfect equilibrium and look mm. at this in 180 different species of woodpecker. How does that come about? Mm. You know, it's just extraordinary. Um, and I think, I remember watching a TED Talk and there was a man on there, I think he was from a church in America or something, and... I remember the last words he said was, what do you hold in your hands that you can give away? Because he had written a book, that was it, and it turned out to be his best-selling book. And, um, and uh, I remember sort of being really, you know, sort of hit by this comment mm. and thinking, God, you know, I have all these things I hold in my hands. And, and then it was weird because it kind of then chose me because at the, um, there was a, a friend of mine who's in the industry who had a friend of hers who set up this small charity, um, which was bringing in sort of one artist into, say, a, a refuge and treating sort of three women. And she asked me to be the ambassador of this charity. 
which I started to do, and then I got very involved in it, mm. and she closed it down. But because I was very involved, she said, well, look, you know, you, you take it. You've got a, um, a management company because mm. I was representing artists. You've got the infrastructure. You do it. And by this time, I was totally hooked. And But I grew it from mm. one artist going into sort of 25 people mm. coming into an event where we hire a space, we have food, we have... You know, different. I call it a beauty circuit. Women, or you know, and also we have to restart treating men now as well. Will work their way around the beauty circuit, um, and you know, often you, we're dealing with people say they they've gone through domestic abuse. You know, almost that their femininity is forgotten, mm. and they they're given an opportunity to just take that time to learn about self care again. Mm. And I suppose my my big thing now is having watched the beauty industry for so long is that beauty. And makeup can be amazing in being used in in terms of self care mm. and taking that time for ourselves and nurturing ourselves. And one of the many things we do in order to honour ourselves and to respect ourselves. And I think, you know, I, mean, I, you know, and I've been guilty of this myself. You know, sometimes I think we pay more attention to our cars and possessions than we do ourselves. Mm. You know, um, and I've seen in the environments we go into. Um, say in a hospice, for example, we go to a couple of hospices, and uh, you know, we're dealing with people that are you know, maybe in their forties and have you know uh, tumor tumor on their spine, or they've you know their their life is compressing mm. before them. Um, and it's funny because a lot of people have said, "How do you deal with that? How does the team deal with with that? Is it not quite confronting?" But um, the truth is, as I'm taking this from Tim Ferriss, because we were talking about this earlier, is it's very focusing. Mm. Is this Tim Roth or Tim Ferriss? Well, this is Tim Ferriss who said it's very focusing because he, he did that podcast on um, uh, hospices. Oh, yes, of course. But Tim Roth, actually, who's actor Tim Roth, who I work with on Jonathan Ross show, he uh, plays a part of a palliative care nurse in a movie called... Uh, what was the movie called? can't remember now. There we go. We can put it in the show notes. Yeah, we can put it in the show, show notes, exactly. Um... And uh, he was saying how it's difficult, actually, to get coverage or exposure for a film like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was sort of thanking Jonathan for putting it on the show. But to actually get it into a a big movie cinema, he said, you can forget it. Because people don't want to talk about it. Mm. You know, it's not a subject that people are comfortable with. Um, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And it's interesting because none of us are getting out alive. And... I know that when I started going into hospices and um, seeing how I'd be talking to some woman and she'd be living her life and she'd have two kids and she'd be uh, happily married and jogging along through life and all of a sudden, boom, it changes. Mm. Just like that. And she's her husband's helping her shave her hair off uh, and he shaves his as well to help mm. her feel better. Or there's another man and he's saving up all the money he can to take his wife to the last few places she can visit before she dies. And she's in her 40s. Yeah. 
And I sort of sit there and I think, wow, you know, it was really uh, amazingly sobering and enlightening as mm. to how the struggles I had had, um, how actually there's a saying, you know, your, your mess can become your message. And I guess my mess became the message that I would go out and, and I would help mm. other people in other communities. Your mess can become your message. Yeah, your sort of mess, mess age. Your, your mess yeah. can you become your message, yeah. Um, and for me, that was that was what it, is, it, it has become. And I, and I think it's interesting because I'm studying at the moment to be a strategic intervention life coach. Mm. And um, there's a lot about psychology of six human needs. And how we all have as a universal, sort of, you know, as humans, these six human needs. And we can meet them in a healthy way or an unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. But we're going to meet them. Um, and I think for me, being in those environments, I mean, they meet my needs on so many different levels. Um, in terms of contribution and growth. And um, because, the, you know, the, it's, it's difficult to almost quantify the value that... that it, something so simple seems to bring to people mm. um and i mean we had we had one woman who who was um it was a la- we were in the hospice and it was the last we were just sort of shutting up shop so to speak and this woman came out of her room she hadn't been out of her room for two weeks and i blogged about this actually because it was she stayed the, the experience stayed with me for quite a while mm. and she was in her 40s and she had stomach tumors and she was you know on oxygen and she was very, she had edema and she was very bloated and she was very anxious when she came out of her room. And she said, I haven't been out of my room in, you know, a long time and I feel very safe there. It's like a refuge. And uh, I chatted to her and I was just talking to her and, you know, saying what we were doing and what would she like to do. And we painted her nails in these different colours. And she started to smile and she was saying, oh, I haven't had anything done like this for so long. I used to be a, a producer mm. and uh, I love it. And, you know, gosh, it's an amazing thing. And and two weeks later, she passed away. And uh, I spoke to the hospice manager and said, you know, how is she? And she said, oh, she passed away. But, you know, she often spoke about how much she loved that experience. It's almost just taking that it's moment incredible. in time for someone who is going through this, mm-hmm. you know, experience and saying, you know, my team or I, we can do this. And it's, and it's um, just gives them a, a breather. These people a breather. It's... Which is amazing. How do you um, cope with it? And that's such a broad question, so I'm going to narrow it down. Um, I think you might have seen that I was tearing up a little Mm, bit. Yes. And that's because um, a few years ago, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer Mm. off um, a routine mammogram. Mm. Caught very early, so very fortunate. But I've not been able to shake that feeling of it can just happen in a... God, I'm really sorry. This is so ridiculous. But I, Better I, out than in. Yes, but I, I, and it's really, it stayed with me. So you see that all the time in this. Mm. How do you, and it, it, in me it makes me quite fearful and it makes me, mm. I, I mean, honestly, I was a bit of a hypochondriac beforehand, but now, honestly, I wake up and I do a full system check and if, you know, mm. something feels a bit off, I'm like, oh my God, it could be something. Mm. It's made me quite panicky. And made me quite anxious. Yeah, it's interesting. She's when my mum passed away. She passed away uh, six years ago now. From um, she got breast cancer and then she got liver and bone cancer, and she passed away. Um, I think she, 
five months after her diagnosis. So she was quite, quite late on. And I suffered this huge amount of anxiety after she went, thinking, you know, uh, how it's just, although I knew intellectually, like I was saying, she was going to go. Mm. When it happened, it was like a tsunami of grief. I was yeah. like, you know, how do, I, how do I deal with this? And I think the thing is, the way I look at it now is... I can't control any of that part. I can live, you know, a healthy life. I, you know, I happen to be into sort of fitness. I happen to be, I think emotional health is incredibly important. But the rest of it is really out of my hands and out of all of our hands. And in a way, that talk about, part talk about being focused. If ever I'm in doubt of wanting to say something to someone, I'll say it. Mm. You know, and I'll sort of think, what is it that really makes me happy? Um... And it's it's interesting because it's almost simplified my my what I really want in my life, and it's simplified it in the sense that I love sunshine. I am hugely aware of the seasons, of you know I see abundance in the way people laugh or or you know a connection I have mm. in the conversation I'm having with you. Mm. Um, that that love and connection is open at all times. I mean, I'll get on the tube and I'll I'll start talking to someone next to me, mm. and have this amazing conversation. Or I'll see it, you know, in my kid who's looking at me and, well, she learns something new. Or And I think it's um, just kept me very aware that there are no guarantees with anything, that, you know, you're blessed if you get to have a long life. Um, a healthy life, you're even more blessed. Yeah. Um, and that it's interesting, this sort of whole thing around fitness because often, because I'm into fitness, and often friends will say, you know, I don't, you know, I don't have the motivation to stay fit. How do you have you have the motivation to stay fit? You know, it hurts kind of going to the gym. Mm. And I go to the local YMCA, and there's a sort of initiative there where you know a lot of people um, who are learning disabled come in, and um, they work out and stuff. And and uh, I'll come be working next to them, and uh, you know, the guy might be in a wheelchair. He might only be able to use you know one of his one of his arms. Mm. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I'm grateful to be feeling the pain I feel right now. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, I mean, it's that, I think it, it's given me a perspective on just being incredibly fortunate um, and the things that are important to me. And that's not to say I don't, I suppose I'm more, I have aspirations rather than being hugely ambitious anymore mm. um, because there are other things that, I think it's Jim Carrey that said, you know, I wish everyone could realise their, you know, dreams of fame and fortune, and then they'd realise that actually that's not where. Was that in his Golden Globe speech? Where no, it was he in. Um, said, oh, he was saying how empty it all was, essentially. Yeah, he said, the effect you have on other people is the greatest currency you'll ever have. Yeah. You know, um, and I think that's, you know, I agree with that. It's that relationships, mm. those relationships that really enhance our sense of well being more than anything. Yeah. Um, but I think it's that acceptance and letting go. That fear, because fear is so it can grip us, mm. and, I, and definitely when my when I had that fear, you talk about when my mum went. It's a level of acceptance of, you know, and humility around it, and and you know what can you do? I mean, you just do the best you can, and then you just, you you be a you know I be a good person, be kind, be forgiving, be loving, mm. and then the rest is what it is, you know. And I think it's interesting. So many celebrities have died this year. I know it's, it's like an onslaught of people, and I kind of think in a way that's. I mean, my take on it is it's to, it's to focus us, you know, focus us on what we're doing. You know, are you, are you living a life that you're happy with? Is Are you living a life where you feel like you're growing? Are you fulfilled? Are mm. you, you know, are you going for what you want to go for? You know what I mean? It's, yeah. um, it's an interesting one. 
There's this weird thing, we talked about this when I arrived and we had our, was it Buddha Tears tea? Yeah, Buddha Tears tea, lovely. yeah. <laughs> we were talking about, um, I spoke to Nadine Baggett, she's done this podcast, she referenced this article about uh, happiness is reality minus expectations. Yeah. And I think there's this weird conversation or this weird dialogue of um, go for what you want, go for the, go after, um, follow your dreams, more so than maybe our parents' generation. Mm. But I wonder if the, but there's this idea that the message of hard work has got lost along the way. Like, oh, mm. by all means. Mm. I mean, I remember I was 22. I was selling software over the phone. And I kept, I was, honestly, I was selling software to computer development developers over the phone. <laughs> but I was in the same building as OK Magazine. And I would stop every day. I'd make the lift stop on their floor. And I'd, like, get up, put my head out the door and be like, oh, my God, that's OK Magazine. And then when I finally decided that I was going to go for it, mm. I had it was two or three years before I actually could because I had to go to journalism college, get a postgrad, mm. had to work for free, had to do all of this stuff. And I wonder if there's this message of that's got slightly lost of, yes, by all means, go for your dreams, but you do know that means that you might have to do an awful lot of hard work. I think definitely, yeah. I think there's definitely that because it's that sort of thing you see the edited highlights, don't you, on social media of how someone's yeah. suddenly gone from zero yeah. to wherever. But I think there's, a, you know, there's it's like I said in the beginning, there's a certain amount of sacrifice of, of what, you know, I definitely have to give up in order to, to reach where I where I wanted to go. Um, but I think the thing is, is if, if there is that um, discipline, I think is a key part mm. of thinking well the bigger picture is I want to you know like with my studies at the moment and I haven't studied in years um you know I kind of think I want to get to there but I've got to go to all these little Mm. bits and sometimes I just have to sort of sit there and tough it out a bit yeah and sort of think I've got to go through this module uh in order to get to that point you know and it's that discipline of of sort of sitting there saying okay if I'm not going to get the whole the whole thing done unless I just tough it tough that bit out it's the gym analogy again isn't it it's, mm. the, it's the sessions where it really hurts mm. and where you want to stop that's where you're making the changes yeah and also it's chunking you know it's like you know if i say i'm not going to do that uh, module that day or i'm going to miss that bit out i'm going to not go to the gym that day three months later mm. i've got a very different result to if i'd just done those small moves each mm. day you know you sort of chunk it together and all of a sudden in the six months a year yeah. it's a very different result to you know if i hadn't done those small things each day and it's habit forming, isn't it? I mean, you know, is that what discipline looks like to you? Because I think there's a lot to be said, and we talked about mutual. We both listened to Tim Ferriss's podcast, yeah, he? and he talks about give yourself a small win. Mm. So if you want to learn to meditate, which I want to ask you about, because do you meditate? Well, actually, I don't meditate. Um, no, you're going to be really surprised at that, aren't you? Um, a little bit. I've got to be honest. Well, I do. I I don't sit down with. I used to do Headspace. I sit out in my garden. I shut my eyes. And I do things like feel the wind on my face or breathe or that kind of thing. And I do that for probably 10 minutes. Yeah, I think... I don't um, do 20 minutes then, though. Discipline. I work from home. I work, I'm self-employed. I mm. have a lot of different things that I do. Mm. And sometimes it can feel really, really overwhelming. And I think listening to Tim and also just kind of the things that's worked for me is write a list at the beginning of the day. Yeah. Of everything, and it looks gargantuan sometimes. It's like two A4 pages of things, and I just think, I'm never going to get this done. And the way that recently I found I get through it is I start the stopwatch on my phone. So I'll be like, right, I've got to write um, this feature. I've done the research, so I've literally just got to write it. So I start the stopwatch, and I'll write it, and it will take me 45 minutes. And I'll think, why did I get so upset about 45 minutes? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then immediately I can very easily sort of cross that off and mentally yes, shed yeah, the yeah. burden of that. I've yeah. got so much to do. Yeah, but is it is that thing when you look at a whole list, isn't it, or a whole project? Like when I started my company, I would sort of think of the whole thing, and I just think it just seems too overwhelming. Mm. And so it's almost like... I mean, I was talking meeting this PR guy yesterday because I'm redesigning my whole website and sort of rebranding somewhat. And, and uh, we were having these conversations. And I could feel myself thinking, oh, just, do I want to do this? <laughs> I mean, do I want to give up, give up my time and the, that, I've, you know, that I really treasure on doing things I love yeah. doing and all this kind of thing? I'm thinking, how can I do this without losing myself again in, mm-hmm. in just being busy? Um, and it is that thing of sort of thinking, well, actually, if I just do the next right thing and then the next right thing and the next right thing, and then it will organically kind yeah. of I mean that's the way I work I mean some people are sure have five year plans and stuff but not me I've been meaning to sit down and write my five year plan for about 12 years <laughs> <laughs> but you're here now <laughs> you know it's like the five yeah. year plan doesn't have to be does it well also I, there's a great um short video that's gone viral of Oprah and um recently you might have seen it because we've been on our feeds I think a mutual friend might have shared it and it's a three-minute video, but the, the crux of it is there are no failures. Everything yeah, that's right, is putting yeah. you on your path to where yeah. you're supposed to be. You're going to get there. Yeah. It's just that yeah. learn from your mistakes. And that can be <coughs> really empowering. Especially. It's hugely empowering, actually, that one, because it's that sort of fear of failure, isn't it, and trying to be perfect mm. that I think is um, often limiting. And I know I've definitely got into perfectionist things, thinking I've got to get everything sorted, everything, all my ducks, ducks in a row and... And actually, that will lead to procrastination for me. Yes. And I'll yeah. sit there and think, oh, no, I, um, you know, no, and I've just got to get, plan it a bit more. When actually, sometimes I just got to get the bloody hell, move it, just go, you yeah. know, just do it, just start something. Um, you know, because it's that thing of failure is, is, is a signpost. It's, that's always just saying, you know, maybe go a bit that direction or that direction. You know, it's sort of, uh, you know, not being afraid yeah. to put yourself out there and say, well, you know, I can, uh, I'm going to try this. And like with, you know, a conversation you and I were having earlier about sort of branding and rebranding, mm. all that kind of thing. It's like, well, you know, I don't have all the answers. And it's also quite easy to get suffocated, mm. I would say, by other people's edited highlights. Yes, yeah, yeah, And yeah. that also leads to inertia for me sometimes. I think I started the channel with Alice. We talked about it for a long time before we did it because part of, part of us is thinking, well, there are already other people doing it. yeah. There are already other people doing it. But yeah, yeah. Um, there's another podcast I listen to with Kevin Smith, the film director and writer. He is absolutely hilarious, but he's also very wise. And well, a guest in his audience said um, said that she had started a podcast that really helped her with a bad go get through a bad time in her life. And he said, that's why you should always do something, whether it's a podcast or whatever it is, because one day, at some point, someone's going to tell you that it made a difference to them. Yeah. That's why you've got to put stuff out in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that ripple effect, isn't it? Yeah. You just never know. You know, I remember um, when we were in one of the... uh, We went work with a centre called Solace, Mm. which is uh, for women going through domestic abuse or recovering from domestic abuse. And uh, I was at Service Users Day, and I got chatting to this girl, and... and, uh, got one of the texts to paint her nails and I had a conversation because Mary Claire ran a piece about the work the initiative that I set up and uh, she was involved in this piece and uh, I had a conversation where she said you'll never know the impact having my nails painted that day had on me she said, because I always used to sort of go in and uh, buy things for my kids or my husband mm. I would never think of myself and just looking down at my nails and sort of seeing how pretty they looked and how 
taking that time for myself meant something to me. And I'd go in and I'd buy myself a nail polish every now and then and just take that time to paint my nails. Shit, it was really strange. Shit, it was just part of a sort of process of starting to think about myself mm. again, of just taking time for myself, something that I enjoyed doing for myself that I hadn't done in years. It's that basic thing I remember my mother saying to me when I was younger, um, when you're not feeling very well, that day when you feel like you can have the energy to get out of bed, put your makeup on, have mm. a shower, put your makeup on, and that does speed up the recovery. It does something yeah. mental. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we've had women who won't have sort of put makeup on a long time and will put makeup on them and then I look at themselves in the mirror and they kind of literally jump. Mm. And it's actually interesting because we were saying earlier about well, there's an expectation if I work with a celebrity mm. of a certain level of, of expertise. But in um, in the situations where we go into different communities, you know, the, the, the women are, you know, so wonderfully grateful mm. um, and surprised, you know, by what is a simple sort of set of skills from our, from our side um, and just seeing themselves, you know, their features enhanced in a way they, they hadn't, you know, seen in a while, which is wonderful. I mean, it's hugely moving and humbling, mm. hugely moving and humbling. So my big message to all beauty brands out there is to get into more self-care. <laughs> I, it's um, even just a small thing. There's a hairdresser's in uh, near Sloan Square. Mm. There's a cafe nearby and I used to, when I first went freelance, I'd often sit there and have like consecutive meetings with people. And it just meant that I would see women walk in and women walk out. And I began to really notice the difference between their deportment when they walked in mm. with their hair probably in a bun or like a bit greasy because they were yeah. getting their colour or their, um, or their cut done. It shows you how long I was having coffee. That's <laughs> why <laughs> so I moved to decaf. And um, their deportment and the way they carried themselves when mm. their hair was like bouncy and... And it was unbelievable. If you could mm. do a time-lapse thing of it, you would think it was a different person mm. or that there had been a massive, mm. massive difference in something incredible that happened to them. But no, they'd won the lottery or something, but no, they just had their hair and colour done. Mm. It was really... Mm. I used to find it quite fascinating. Mm. It is fascinating. I mean, it's that combination, isn't it, of sort of working on the inside and the outside mm. and getting that balance, you know, of uh, taking care of yourself from all different, you know, parts, you know. It's that, um, we were saying about emotional resilience and doing things that will, investing in oneself, I think, to train and become masterful mm. of our emotional patterns and aware of them. Um, because with that mastery, I think, you know, you can sort of visit places that are potentially negative, like, mm. you know, you get hacked off or pissed off or angry or whatever, but you don't sort of live there, you don't stay there. Yeah. And you bounce back out. The, the, the bounce back is much faster with the awareness that comes with emotional resilience, I think. Mm. You know, the, the, the ability to process things and to articulate oneself without uh, being um, combative or aggressive, mm. you know, and setting boundaries and stuff That's like that. That's hard as women, though, isn't it? Do you, do you find, I would say, my observation on that is yeah. it can be quite tricky because I think we're so used to this quite passive way of speaking that when we feel compelled to stand up for ourselves, sometimes it sounds way too strong. I think it's practice. I think, you know, I hear what you're saying totally. I think it's mm. practice. I think that whole thing of, you know, I feel X, Y, Z when you do X, Y, Z or whatever. I think it's the it's the way it's worded, isn't it? And also yeah. acceptance of other people are who they are. Mm. They're not always who, you know... I would like them to be, <laughs> you know, um, and, and I think when we're more and more accepting of each other, well, you know, it's, it's, it's easier to sort of communicate, you yeah. know, I'm okay, you're okay kind of thing. Yeah. And you have to agree on, you know, 
that level of communication that will lead to a, a, a mutual sort of place of acceptance of each other. Mm. What's the advice that you find yourself giving to people the most? The advice I find my girls giving to people most, um, do you know, it's weird, it tends to be, uh, weirdly, because my relationships have never been that successful, <laughs> but it tends to be um, usually about, uh, yeah, stuff to do with emotional resilience, just about um, communication or, or internal conflicts, you know, sort of trying to uh, dismantle why the internal conflict is there. I do it with my. I've got nineteen, nearly nineteen-year-old son, who's exploring the world. Strapping lad with a great handshake. <laughs> yes, but he's strapping lad with a great handshake, isn't he? Lots of eye contact. <laughs> yeah, I was really taken aback. Normally, I think I'm at that age now where I'm like, "Mummy's weird mate." No, no, no. Normally, there's no eye contact, but he was. Yeah, no, he's he's, he's sort of yeah, he's he's quite focused like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. Um, but I think if you're open, in my experience, if I'm open with people. I mean, it could be anything that comes back or that, you know, they feel resonates with them, you know. Yeah. So I think it's interesting. How do you share, because you're very open, mm. how do you share bits of yourself without ever feeling like you're oversharing or that you're about, how do you keep your boundaries in place? Um, I guess I share about stuff. Um, I suppose everything I've said here is sort of, you know, stuff that's well processed. Mm. And I think, you know, I hope that... Uh, there's something I've said in there that might resonate with someone. Oh my God, honestly. You know, it might resonate with someone that, you know, listens to the podcast. Um, well, I think it's, in, it's an interesting one, that. I think that if being vulnerable takes courage... I mean, do you ever listen to Brene Brown? No, but power of vulnerability. RuPaul's Drag Race. So the Power of Vulnerability was a TED Talk. It's had I don't know, 23 million hits or something ridiculous, and it's really about... You know, vulnerability is showing up without our armour. Mm. And I think it's especially significant in intimate relationships or with, you know, somebody who's close to me, like a friend or... Mm. Um, and I think those situations will be uncomfortable and sometimes I can feel really exposed mm. or like I've stuck my neck right out. But I think in that, as long as it's not with someone who is damaging or toxic... Mm which I think, you know, you'd sort of, your instinct, my instincts would kick in. Yeah. Um, there's a certain lesson in being able to say where I'm at without needing the other person to uh, say what I want them to say in return. Mm. Yes. And to that point, you can listen to all the TED Talks and you can listen to, um, which we do. Yeah. But I also think The Real Housewives is a great example. Bear with me. Bear with me, Lee. I don't know The Real Housewives. <laughs> so The Real Housewives is a reality show, right. but it's basically ego against ego. Yeah. Two vital things that you learn from that is never never wait for someone to say thank you or never wait for someone to apologise because that ain't never going to happen. And the other thing is, is you notice the people who are emotionally okay. Yes. And they're the ones who don't need the external validation. Yes, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's a huge one, actually. A huge one in in society today, really, is that need for validation from the, you know, from mm. external sources, need from how many likes am I going to get on this Instagram account? Does that mean I'm less because I haven't got so many likes? Oh, no, I have three followers. <laughs> you know, um, I didn't get that booking. Am I still okay? Uh, you know, that person's rejected me. Am I still okay? And I mean, definitely one of my big learnings in being deciding consciously to uh, not date or 
really uh, explore my world for sort of two two years um, was learning to go without that validation mm. and to uh, definitely in intimate relationships stop looking to men mm. to validate me. Do you think I'm pretty? Am I okay now? You know all that kind of stuff mm. that yeah, I grew up with it's in huge Hollywood films. On them. Huge. And in the hands of the wrong person. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's a date of dating apps and Tinder and God knows what. You know, it's, 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 it's a minefield. Mm. But what I learned in that period of time, um, also in some of the group work I did and heard some of what men actually felt, their vulnerabilities, mm. was hugely enlightening. And I thought, God, you know, this sort of dynamic that often plays out, these games that play out between men and women manipulative games you know I'm going to say this to try and get this result but I'm not mm. really going to say this is what I'm going to do um, and uh, the, getting some a lot of awareness around that and hearing actually what vulnerabilities men have and, and to see them in the raw like that mm. gave me a massively different perspective and, and a much more human perspective on that male-female mm. energy that dynamic um, I mean, everyone's got male-female energy, haven't they? I mean, some women even, you know, in, in sort of the executive world will have more male energy mm. than female energy. And I think that that feminine energy is not always honoured in the way in today's society yeah. like it used to be. Um, you know, because women do everything and can do everything and, you know, can have babies alone. I mean, the whole works, mm. you know. Um, and I think that, that can often lead, you know, definitely for me, it led to me being a bit blocked with that and mm. not wanting to show feminine energy. Um, but, you know, I think that what it taught me around, you know, male-female dynamics was just to have a much more human perspective mm. on that and uh, not seeking that validation was hugely rewarding at the end of it, although it was difficult in the beginning, <laughs> um, hugely rewarding at the end of it because it, learned, it taught me to build self-esteem from a very different place of what can I... Building self-esteem from what I was contributing to the world rather than... Do I look pretty? Am I getting enough likes? Am I putting the right message out? Mm. You know, am I putting that nice editorial out or I'm, you know, uh, in that magazine? You know, which is all smoke and mirrors and all mm. illusion. You know, and, and I think everyone needs a bit of fantasy and time to daydream, but I think it's an important part of life. But um, equally, I think the real joy comes in the, in the, in the rawness and realness of, of life in a way. Uh, and that letting go of that need for validation... Um, and being able to play with it more. Mm. So I mean, if you play with that male-female energy now, it's a different kind of sense because, it, it, you know, my self-esteem's not dependent on that. Mm. You know, you see, so, you know, in, I mean, I've got girlfriends who bounce from one relationship to the next, one dating app to the next, you know, um, with this happily ever after sort of image. We were talking about this, you know, it's that kind of, if I get all these things and life will be certain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not. It's the Hollywood ending. It's the Hollywood ending. It's the fantasy of it. And I think um, letting go of the fantasy has to look a certain way mm. is an interesting one, an interesting conversation. And that, you know, allowing people to be who they are and still allowing the person to grow and me to grow and all that kind of thing. And that maybe there isn't, you know, for some of us, maybe there isn't that. That's not how life's going to be mm. for each individual. Um, you know, it's what else can, uh, you know, we contribute that's that's of value and I think nowadays I think with dare I say it the sort of Kardashians and the Kylie's and Jenna's and it's I'm not in I'm sort of not it's not in my Mm. arena really Mm. rightly or wrongly um 
I wonder if we're teaching our kids what are they what can they bring to the world that's a value rather than if I take enough Instagram pictures and I look pretty enough mm. will I get my validation like that I feel really scared for parents I mean for, for parents because I was at dinner the other night with my family and at the table on the other side of the restaurant there were a group of um I think it was six or eight girls. Yeah. And my brother and I realised that we were old because we were like, they must be about 15. How can they afford dinner? And we realised they're probably in their mid-twenties and we're just old now. <laughs> but they were all, rather than talking to each other, they were all taking selfies and applying filters and we could see what they were doing. And my brother's like, what's that? And I said, oh, that's Snapchat. So they're putting, they're taking a lot of time to put this perfect image out there that will last for 24 hours. Yeah. Um, and not having decent conversations. And as yeah. I've learned from this, just chatting with you, I feel like I've learned loads. And there's this is one of the reasons about the podcast is like why do I want to do this well I really like interviewing people yeah. so I want to do it more on my terms and also sharing information with people yeah. is one of the coolest things that you can do yeah 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 totally totally and so I feel really scared because I don't know how parents could limit a child's access to social media or to that world because it's like when we all wanted oh, I'm trying to think of a toy that we all wanted when we were growing yeah, up yeah I know you would feel that you how yeah. can you restrict your child from Well that's the thing it, you can't that's the that's the thing I don't think you can having you know kids of my own but I think my experience with my son who's sort of you know coming up to a 19 is it's keeping that conversation open mm. because I think that once you know especially with you know things like you know uh, porn on the internet you know it, it, even if you're blocking it at home you might get a kid in the playground who's looking at yeah. it it's it's a minefield but as long as that conversation is constantly open and um, and going, then you haven't lost the game. Mm. Um, and I think it's, you know, we can't protect them. I mean, my kid, you know, my youngster, she wants, uh, she's 11 and she wants all these different social platforms. I'm like, you can have one, mm. right? And that, that's it. Um, I think... Which one has she chosen? She went for Instagram, actually, because she got a private account. And then she said she wanted Snapchat, so we've got to let go of Instagram. So, you know, she can experiment. Mm. Um you know, I have to know who's following her, you know, the whole the whole shebang. And I don't want to, you know, have to... I mean, some of our friends have YouTube, they have Twitter. They, I mean, it's just extraordinary. And I wouldn't want that on my social media platforms. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think it's interesting. I think if you can play with that whole selfie thing and, it, and it, your self-esteem's not dependent on it, great. Mm. Have play with it. It's a game. Mm. It's a games room. That's what it is. But it's when there's a sense of self-esteem wrapped up in it that it's mm. difficult you know, um, I mean, I look at my teenagers' friends, you know, profile pics, and I'm like, wow, that's that's a provocative image. Mm. It's beautiful. It's provocative, though. It's interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting time, you know? Very interesting. And it, I think it will come back to this self-esteem issue. And to that point, do yeah. you, have you read a book or has there been anything you've read or a source of anything that you've read that has you talking about um with your self-esteem and yeah. finding your happiness is there anything that you would recommend to people a book that's a very good question actually or in this day and age it could be an article on the internet um there's a book i remember reading that wasn't specifically to do with self-esteem but it's just one of those quite sobering books called tuesdays with maury by Mitch Albon. Okay. Um, I love that it's on the bookshelf in this room. How <laughs> amazing. Yeah, it's on the bookshelf <laughs> in this room. Um, that's interesting. Um, but I think self-esteem is built 
through being of service, through getting out of self, mm. through uh, doing things that are of value to other people by giving stuff away. Mm. Um, it's interesting. Tim Ferriss did a really interesting. He does an experiment where he's a human guinea pig after all. He's a human guinea pig. <laughs> where he sort of he does this thing where what would happen if he was really, really poor financially mm. and he would dress in the same pair of sneakers, same pair of jeans for a week and, and, and his food budget would be a few dollars. Mm. And he said, because it always sort of takes away that fear of um, you know, what would happen if, if you were in that situation. Um, so I think self-esteem, uh, yeah, I think definitely contribution to others is a, is a major one because it just builds up a sense of connection with others. And build and that and uh, that without expecting anything in return. Mm. Without expecting anything in return. Mm. And there's an interesting thing that we're studying at the moment, actually, about in intimate relationships. How often we'll go into it, sort of thinking, okay, I'm going to give you this, and you're going to give me that back. Mm. It's a trade, right? We're going to trade like this. And then if you don't give me that back, I'm not going to give you this mm. right, on this emotional level because I now feel too vulnerable because I've given you something and I think you might reject me, so I'm going to hold back now. Mm. And there's this thing called a 90 day challenge where you find out what the person's needs are. Because I might say to you, um, I don't know if you've ever read The Five Languages of Love, it's like there's different ways that people understand love. And the way I might experience love might be completely different to mm. how you want to experience it. Um, and, for instance, I've got a friend, her partner's way of expressing love is gift-giving. The way she wants to experience love is him taking the rubbish out. Acts right. of service, yeah, yeah. right? So they don't understand. <laughs> so they're kind of like, he's giving all these gifts. And she's like, why are you taking the freaking rubbish out? <laughs> you know, I want to see some acts of service. I want that garden done. I want the beds made. Yeah. You know, so it's understanding what each other's needs are and trying to meet the other, and, and not trying meeting the other person's yeah. needs and saying, does this resonate with you? Um, but you can only meet other people's needs if you know what yours are first. Yes, you've got to understand what your values are for sure, you know. Definitely, you've got to understand what your values are and what resonates with you. Mm. But when you meet the other person's needs, you do it for 90 days and not expect anything in return. You learn how to be this sort of very giving Mm. person. And in in being loving, in being caring, I experience that because I'm making that, I'm creating that state in myself. Mm. I'm creating that sort of feeling in myself because really they're all my feelings anyway. I might think you're bringing them out in me, but we we create this third thing together almost. Um, And then... uh, in going into that relationship and giving like that, uh, and then you can sort of help the person understand what resonates with with me. You know what how how I understand love, mm-hmm. how I understand being valued, and all that kind of thing. So it's an interesting kind of way of viewing it. Um, you know, when it's you know one can feel so vulnerable in that kind of situation yeah. and want the trade to do the trading thing, and of course everyone ends up pulling back and pulling back, and then, and then things don't grow. And often I think in that vulnerability and in and in setting the arena differently and, and sort of raising the bar it gives the other person the opportunity to uh come forward and say where they're at and what's mm. going on for them um when done in a non-confrontational way you know yeah. but then i guess if you do things for 90 days and they really just are selfish then it, it gives you another answer completely totally <laughs> yeah but you've learned something mm. you've learned how to give and you've learned well actually maybe that person's not we're just our not values are not it. the same yeah our values are on different paths you know mm. um so it's an interesting kind of uh interesting spin on it mm. <laughs> very interesting i feel like my mind has been completely open today <laughs> That's yeah. been really fascinating. Thank you. Oh, I feel like we pleasure. could probably go on for another four to five hours. Yeah, probably. Thank you, Lee, for for joining me. It's been such a pleasure. 
I really appreciate your time. And anything that Lee mentioned, the books and um, anything else, uh, all of that, all the links, etc., will be in those show notes. But I feel like you're going to be another guest. I feel like we're going to have you back. <laughs> well, hopefully. Thank you for having me. I've loved it. Anytime. Loved it. <laughs> Anytime. Thanks again for listening to and downloading the Beauty Podcast with Emma G. I really hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, why not tell a few friends about it? You could even head over to iTunes and add your rating and review of the show. If you'd like to receive my regular newsletter, where you'll find links to my beauty features as well as a sneak preview of upcoming guests, then head to emmagundawardler.com forward slash newsletter. I won't bombard your inbox and I won't share your details with anyone else. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to tweet me if you have any thoughts about this episode or simply want to get in touch to let me know how much you enjoyed it. Until next time.